You're listening to a message from the Winsboro Church of Christ. This is the Winsboro.Church podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can get in touch with us at any time through our website at Winsboro.Church. Embracing the sacred. That's all we looked at last week and what we're going to be looking at this week as well. And I want to say something, I guess, that happened to me on this previous Sunday morning, Easter morning, and we had a great crowd at church. It was wonderful. Um, and uh, again, looking forward to having everybody back eventually, but still doing this, and that's okay. Uh, I enjoy being able to do this for those that need to or want to or appreciate being able to watch it. And as long as you want to watch it, I, I'll keep maybe making it. But uh, last Sunday morning, I got to church early. I usually do, and even more so maybe because it's Easter. And uh, I wanted, uh, lack of a better word, be at the top of my game. And so I was there and I was drinking coffee. But the night before, something was on my mind. And it was on my mind when I woke up. And it was small and yet it kind of weighed on me a little bit. It was about Botham Jean, the young man uh, shot in Dallas in his apartment by Amber Geiger. And he was a member of the Church of Christ. He went to Harding University. And I don't know why I was thinking about him, but I, you know, he was a song leader at his local church. And uh, it made me wonder you know, how much he would be missed that Easter morning by his church family, by his physical family. And so when I got to church, it was just nagging me. And I just looked up the church where he attended in Dallas, found a little email on the website, and just sent him a message saying, uh, somebody's thinking about you all this morning. No, dealing with grief myself uh, and doing grief classes and interacting with it just as a preacher. Uh, One thing that people have often said is that after the funeral, after everybody goes home and things just continue on after you lose someone close to you, it seems like the world moves on and forgets. Forget maybe that that person ever existed. Now, Botham Jean was at the center of a very fierce media storm, but media storms move on. And if of course, we moved on to George Floyd, and you know, and we'll move on to something the next big thing after that, and uh, and other big issues and news stories, and eventually that'll just kind of fade into the background. Whether it should or not, it's just the way our world works and moves on to the next thing. And having lost members of my family and. I just know it's hard to grapple with whenever you're still holding on so tightly. And it seems like the rest of the world hardly even thinks of it or remembers it at all. And so I just sent him a note, an email, saying, somebody's thinking of you this morning. I don't know why I. it was on my heart and in my mind, but it was. And I just wanted to let them know. It's on somebody's heart today. I know it's on yours. Just know some stranger out there uh, that connected to you through the church family is thinking about you too. You know, and they sent the the minister sent back an email saying appreciated. He passed it on to the family, and it's small. I'm not sharing that with you because it was such an amazing event. No, it's something about our 
walk with Christ in our Christian lives. There might be some amazing events and preachers. We love to share about the amazing events, the big events. And scripture does too. I mean, the stories of Jesus that Luke's going to get to, there's some big major events. He walks on water. He calms a storm. He, of course, rises from the dead. But the small events are important too. And in those, we can stop and embrace the sacred. And we see that in Luke chapter 2, even when Jesus is an infant, Luke slows us down and invites us to embrace the sacred in that moment. And especially, I think, whereas last week we talked about embracing the sacred hope, this week about embracing sacred peace, because hope is all about looking forward. But there's also a time when you look back and you see what God has done. And that brings you peace. And I, I, I see that coming through in Luke chapter 2. Let's read it. Now when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be set apart to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is specified in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So Mary and Joseph go to Jerusalem, and Jesus is only uh, a little, he, he's an infant, he's small, he's very young. And we're not told this is his circumcision, but this is his dedication, which is interesting. And to understand that, we need to go back to the book of Exodus to see where this is in the law of the Lord and why they're doing this for Jesus. Let's look at Exodus chapter 13, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, Set apart to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites, whether human or animal. It is mine. It is mine. God says, I claim. As the God over you, as the God who rescued you, I claim your firstborn sons. And then chapter 13 goes on to talk about how they are to be dedicated. That as if an animal, most animals, that firstborn son would be the sacrifice, the animal sacrifice given. Of course, God doesn't want human sacrifice. And so what he calls Israel to do is to redeem the firstborn son, to pay for the firstborn son with sacrifice. Because understand something, God says, remember, I want all Israel to remember for all time. The firstborn son is mine. And that goes back to what's, what happened just previously, the Passover. Whenever God came, remember, it was the firstborn children of Egypt that were killed, but the firstborn sons of Israel were spared. And it's not transactional necessarily, but God does play on that idea and that image of, I spared your firstborn sons, but no, they still belong to me. You as a people belong to me. You as a nation belong to me. And especially whenever you have to redeem your firstborn sons, that'll be a reminder, remembering what God has done in the past and who that has made you, bringing that peace of remembrance. Uh, and let's look at Exodus chapter 4 as well to see God's perspective on it. 
The Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the wonders I have put under your control. This is before Moses even went back. Uh, he's seen the burning bush. He's talked to Jethro. He's gotten uh, Jethro's blessing to take his family, to take Jethro's daughter and grandchildren with him back to Egypt. And it's uh, going to be a, a crazy ride for Moses and for the Israelites when he brings them out. But God gives him a little window or uh, really tells him exactly how it's all going to conclude and how the 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 contest with Pharaoh is going to go. So do all these wonders before Pharaoh, but I will harden his heart and he will not let the people go. You must say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord has said. Israel is my son, my firstborn. That's interesting. God calls Israel his firstborn son. And Israel, for that to be Technically accurate is a is kind of a stretch. I mean, Adam and Eve, but and Adam, the firstborn son, you could say. But it's a long time between Adam and then Abraham. And many things occurred, like Noah and the flood and the Tower of Babel. But then you get to Abraham, and God chooses Abraham. He puts Abraham to the test, and he blesses Abraham, and he makes a promise to Abraham that out of Abraham... God will raise a special nation. God will raise up his own special nation to be his special children. And here, kind of like his firstborn children, God wants the entire world. And the Old Testament is right for that, and the New Testament especially, as far as the inclusion of the Gentiles into God's saving plan and message. But Israel was the beginning of that plan. And Israel... Uh, came from Isaac and came from Jacob. And Israel technically wasn't even the firstborn. Remember, Esau was the older brother, but God chose Israel. And so to use this language is kind of strange, but if you think about how God took, took the nation to be his special people, his representative, and to do his saving work so that all nations would come to him, Israel is his firstborn son. And so God says, Moses, I'm going to tell Pharaoh Pharaoh is going to get the message loud and clear. Let my son go that he may serve me. But since you have refused to let him go, I will surely kill, take your son, your firstborn son. God says, Israel is my firstborn. I'm come to get him. And in the interaction, Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to let, let them go. They're my slaves. I need them. I want them. Hardening his heart after every plague. But then you get to the 10th one and God says, fine, you won't let my firstborn son go. I'll take your firstborn sons. And that's the backdrop of the Passover. That's the backdrop of the redemption of the firstborn that now Mary and Joseph are doing with Jesus. Obediently following the law, taking him to the temple and remembering that story of the Passover and remembering their story of redemption how fitting it is that the true firstborn son of God, because Jesus even, well, Jesus is eternal, but Jesus was there at the creation of the world. Jesus, God's only begotten son, his specially begotten son that is separate and above and over any other child of creation like Adam and all of humankind ever since. Jesus 
the Son of God, the true firstborn Son of the new creation, of the resurrection. So, I mean, Mary and Joseph are going up to the temple, and they've got Jesus and Mary, and, I mean, it's a miraculous birth, and they know God's at work, and they've been promised Jesus is going to be the king, but how is it all going to unfold? Who knows? They're just a little peasant family. But taking Jesus up in this moment, for the redemption of Jesus, whenever Jesus was going to bring about the redemption of Israel, the redemption of the entire world, that the firstborn son would actually stand in the place of all the other children of God for our salvation. And it's a sacred moment. It's, it's a small act, but Luke draws our attention to it as a sacred moment. And he shows us two people that, come, that, that engage with Mary and Joseph in this moment and engage with Jesus. And they're elderly people, people who've had a long life serving God. And they look at what this little baby at the temple represents and means. And God has let them know that this is special. This is significant. This is a moment to take you know, stock in and, and um, appreciate. Anna, the, the woman, is even called a prophetess. But Simeon is a servant of God. And so in this moment, a small moment, just a little, the firstborn dedication of a baby, which happened all the time in Israel, but uh, it was special. And they embraced the sacred and they were filled with peace. Let's look at Luke chapter 2 again. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon, who was a righteous, who was righteous and devout, looking for the restoration of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah, the coming king, the one they had been waiting for. So Simeon had known, well, before you die, Simeon, you'll see the Messiah. So Simeon, directed by the Spirit, came into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what was customary according to the law, Simeon took him in his arms and blessed God. So Simeon, in his old age, going into the temple, being guided, being led, something maybe in his heart to be in that moment, and he sees this baby, and he knows the Holy Spirit reveals to him, that's him. That's not just any firstborn son of Israel being redeemed. That's the firstborn son of Israel, of God himself being redeemed, and he will bring redemption. He takes him in his arms and saying, Now according to your word, sovereign Lord, permit your servant to depart in peace. Simeon has served God for a long life and he's got a lot to look back on. But now that he's seen the unfolding of God's plan to bring about the true king, the long-awaited king, the Messiah, Simeon says, now I can depart in peace. In that sacred moment, he found all the peace he needed and knew that I can die a happy man. I know God's at work. 
Last week we looked at how Mary and Elizabeth looked to the future. You know, they're babies that were going to be born and the hope that it brought them. Simeon looks at Jesus and there's hope, definitely. But it gives him the ability also to look backwards and to have peace. To look back, maybe all the way back to Moses and the Passover and in Egypt and their salvation, uh, the firstborn being exchanged, where God took his, Egypt's firstborn, not Israel's, so that he could redeem Israel. Knowing that hmm, God's plan that began then, God's still doing it. And that brings peace. Even if the story goes beyond us, Simeon's not going to see the baptism of Jesus. Simeon's not going to see uh, the walking on the water or the calming of the storm or the crucifixion or the resurrection. And I doubt he even had a clue as to how it would all unfold. I don't think you could have asked him and he would have been able to specifically anticipate any of that. But he knew God was at work. And whenever he closed his eyes the last time and folded his hands and departed from this life, he did so in peace because he knew God's sacredness would keep going. It wasn't up to Simeon to bring about the restoration of Israel. That's up to God. Simeon just got to see it. And that's us in our Christian walk then. It's not for up to us to save the world. That's God's business. But he says, be my faithful servant. Share the message of salvation that God has done. And find peace. Knowing that your lifetime is such a small part of it. And yet God has done what little he did in your life. Because he's doing so much more. He's done so much in the past. He's going to do so much more. And it's not all on your shoulders. Colby Clapp, the preacher at the Winsboro Church of Christ. It's not all on, all on my shoulders. There are lots of churches around this nation, around this world, lots of preachers. And I hope there's many, many faithful servants. And I try to be one. But I know I don't have to do it all myself. That's God's job. I'll just do what he's asked me to do. And one day I'll fold my hands and depart this world in peace. Unless Jesus comes back first. Then I'll depart the other way in peace. Not by folding my hands, but rising up into the sky. But I'm not going to be worried about it. Because God's at work. And that's Simeon's perspective. In verse 36... There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, having been married to her husband for seven years until his death. She had lived as a widow since then for 84 years. She never left the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So a devout woman, a prophetess, a woman who has seen hardship and known loneliness, but who found comfort in God, who found peace in serving God, and at the temple, praying and fasting, doing a holy and a righteous and an important work. And I know many of our widows in our church with prayer, fasting, 
some ways do a more important work than me preaching to a camera. And she had been doing this work at the temple. And at the moment, at that moment, when Jesus being brought in to redeem the firstborn, as was the custom, she came up to them and began to give thanks to God and to speak. And unlike Simeon, we're not told a word specifically, but we're told that she speaks about the child to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel, of Jerusalem, for the redemption of Jerusalem. They were redeeming this little baby, according to the customs, and bringing us a sacrifice. And it's notable that Luke talks about the sacrifice of a pair of doves or two young pigeons back in verse 24. You read Exodus 13 and you see it's the lamb was preferred. A one-year-old lamb was the proper sacrifice, but that for those who could not afford a lamb, doves or two young pigeons were acceptable. So we see that Jesus came from very humble means. So again, no priest... Uh, the high priest wouldn't have taken notice of that that day. I'm sure lots of babies maybe were being dedicated. And there were rich families, well-off families, bringing in lambs to be slaughtered. And poor ones bringing in their little doves or their pigeons. Jesus was with the poor ones. His family bringing in just what they had, but doing what God had requested. Redeeming their firstborn. And again, this sets in motion and anticipates the rest of the Gospel of Luke when Jesus will bring redemption and redeem Israel and beyond, the whole world. And I hope that brings us peace. And it's a beautiful moment. It's a sacred moment. It's a small moment. Kind of like my just little email, uh, the church in Dallas. Not earth-shattering. And I don't know if the preacher's really going to pass along or not. Thank you for the thoughts. All right, move on. Ah, it can be sacred. God can do sacred things. God is doing sacred things. Not can, he is doing sacred things. He has done sacred things in Jesus. He is doing sacred things through his church and through his Holy Spirit still at work among us. And they can be small. That doesn't mean they're not sacred. And it's sometimes the small things that can bring us peace. And God wants us to embrace that peace. Like Simeon did. I can depart in peace. And Anna, who spoke to everyone around about this child and not just his redemption, but the redemption of all Israel. And their stories end. We don't hear about Simeon or Anna. I assume they die shortly after this. She was very old. He was very old. But they had a moment where they experienced Jesus. And that sacred moment brought them peace. I hope when we experience Jesus in our conversion, when we come to the Lord, and when we worship and sometimes even maybe sitting at home, like you're doing right now, uh, can be a sacred moment if we let Jesus touch our hearts, if we let the peace of Christ, the peace that passes understanding, we're told, if we let that peace fill us in, that's a sacred moment, one to embrace.